0: Welcome to the latest podcast from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month, we review an appraiser journal article, typically from PRS, and summarise it for you in this podcast. The full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the August 2017 Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club. Coming to you from Sydney, Australia. My name is Damien Marucci and I'm here with young James Doherty, uh, one of the accredited trials. The next paper we're looking at is Simplifying the Forehead Flap for Nasal Reconstruction, a review of 420 consecutive cases. This is by Saniak, Malafa and Thornton uh, from University of Texas Southwestern from the August 2017
1: Paris. So James, what was this paper about? The basic issue here is they're trying to develop a guideline for using the forehead flap in nasal reconstruction and the background to this is that the forehead flap is a workhorse for significant nasal defects and dates as far back as 500 BC to India where it was used for the reconstruction of the amputated nose. The study type is a retrospective review of patients and the patients were 420 in number with a mean age of 67 and a half. 68% 68% of these patients had a nasal alar defect, 61% had a defect of the tip. 77 of the, 77% of these underwent ipsilateral paramedian forehead flaps. The surgical technique is described in detail. The authors state their preference for an ipsilateral axial design. The supratrochlear artery was identified on Doppler and then the width of the pedicle was centered on this point. The authors used a 13 to 14 millimeter wide pedicle and stipulates that the pedicle needs to be long enough for a tension-free inset whilst avoiding the hairline. When inadequate length from an ipsilateral flap is available, a contralateral design was used. In designing the flap, a template of the contralateral affected subunits of the nose was made with foil suture packaging and then transposed to the defect, then trimmed exactly to shape. This was then used to trace the flap design onto the forehead. The authors used a dog ear excision at the distal end of the flap. This was as a handle for manipulating the flap itself and also a turn-in for lining any mucosal deficits. On dissection, first, the authors suggest a scoring of the skin at the alar rim to allow for turning in of the lining portion. The flap is then raised distal to proximal, maintaining a subgaleal plane until 3 centimeters above the supraorbital rim, at which point a subperiosteal plane is attained to include the periosteal branch of the supratrochlear artery. They make some discussion about two-stage versus three-stage flaps and this is in regards to thinning of the flap prior to its primary inset. For two-stage procedures, the authors maximally thinned the distal 20% of the flap. For three-stage procedures, when there was a lining portion, the lining was maximally thinned and all external flap thinning was to occur at a second stage. The authors used donor site closure only if it didn't compromise the eyebrow contour and flap perfusion. Any remaining deficits in the donor site were allowed to granulate. And patients were booked for flap division at four weeks. The outcome measures that they've used in this study are complications such as tip necrosis, flap loss and a poor cosmetic result. There's no specific mention of any statistics, but they have done a subgroup analysis of those younger and older older than 80 years. In the results, 420 patients between 2004 and 2014 presented for nasal defect reconstruction with forehead flaps. Majority of these reconstructions occurred in two stages. The average of the study group was 2.23. They had a 3.8% complication rate. 1.4% had tip necrosis. They had two episodes of total loss total loss of the flap and one death secondary to what they've termed as anticoagulant misadventure. There was no significant difference in complication rates in patients either side of 80 years and the authors stress that they have presented the largest group of patients with forehead flap reconstructions over the age of 80 and thus they are suggesting that it is safe to do in this age group. Their conclusions are that forehead flap nasal reconstruction is safe and effective for patients who comprehend the process. Elderly patients tolerate this procedure with just as few side effects as the younger population and donor site closures should only be performed when it's not at the expense of flap perfusion or eyebrow distortion. Healing by secondary intention is their preferred method for dealing with donor sites that cannot be closed. The good things about this study, it's a single surgeon experience over 420 cases. They give clear instructions on design, pedicle placement, pitfalls and perioperative management, including dressings. Problems? Well, they promote a turn-in for nasal lining, as it's required in 57% of the defects they encountered, but they've only used the turn-in in in 7% of cases. They've attempted to provide a guideline for the use of forehead flap in nasal reconstruction, but the technical aspects of thinning and the timing of a second and third stage have been glossed over. There was also no delineation in the outcome measures between ipsilateral and contralateral flaps. The take home message from this paper is that an ipsilateral design with axial flow is preferred if, signif- if the length is available to stay away from the hairline. Patients for forehead flap reconstruction can also continue to take all anticoagulation in their experience except clopidogrel. And there is no significant difference in the complication rate between those younger or older than 80 years old.
0: Thank you very much for that excellent summary, James. So this was essentially a a single surgeon case series, and certainly the tips and tricks that uh, Dr. Thornton presents are excellent. Um, The detail about not stopping the anticoagulation except for clopidogrel really uh, gives you Uh, a justification to try that in your own practice, given the numbers of patients that he's dealing with. And certainly there was a previous paper we did in Journal Club looking at cheek reconstruction where they were doing these large cervicofacial facial flaps, which made the same uh, comment that they made no attempt to modulate the patient's anticoagulation status. Uh, One of the issues is with these particular type of reconstructions is they... um, uh, although they're reconstructive they're done for aesthetic reasons it would have been nice to have a more objective uh, form of assessing the aesthetic outcomes whether it's uh, an objective uh, external panel of analyzing before and after photos uh, or, or patient reported outcome measures but um, any paper that includes 420 consecutive forward flaps is, is something that is not to be ignored thank you Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow
1: us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.